Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Lane. And this is Meg. And today we're going to be talking about A Scott in the Dark by Sarah McLean. So this book was published in 2016 and it is the second book in the Scandal and Scoundrel series. So the first one was The, uh, the Rogue Less Traveled? The, the Rogue Not Taken. Rogue Not Taken. I F that up all the time. Um, and so the first one was this, it introduced the scandalous S's. Yes, yeah, so the first one introduced the scandalous S's. And I would have assumed the subsequent books in the series would have been about those the sisters. The S's, yeah. And they feature the prominently in this one, but they, they are do. neither the hero or the heroine. That is correct. So the hero in this book is the Duke of Warnick, who is Scottish. Scott's week. <laughs> so Scott's week continues. <laughs> uh, so we've got the, he was introduced in the first one. Yes. He was the racing partner and Sophie and King were married at his estate. Yes. In the first book, in The Rogue Not Taken. Correct. Uh, so that's when he was introduced. And the uh, hero, heroine, was, is, her name is Lillian Hargrove. She was not introduced in that book. Right. She's introduced very early in this one. Yes. So let's read the jacket before we talk about the premise. Okay. Lonesome lily-turned-scandalous siren, Miss Lillian Hargrove has lived much of her life alone in a gilded cage, longing for love and companionship. When an artist offers her pretty promises and begs her to pose for a scandalous portrait, Lily doesn't hesitate, until the lying libertine leaves her in disgrace. With the painting now public, Lily has no choice but to turn to the one man who might save her from ruin. Highland devil turned half-hearted duke. The Duke of Warnick loathes all things English, none more so than the aristocracy. It does not matter that the imposing Scotsman has inherited one of the most venerable dukedoms in Britain. He wants nothing to do with it, especially when he discovers that the unwanted title comes with a troublesome ward, one who is far too old and far too beautiful to be his problem. Tartan comes to town. Warnick arrives in London with a single goal, get the chit married and see her become someone else's problem, then return to a normal, quiet life in Scotland. It's the perfect plan, until Lily declares she'll only marry for love, and the Scot finds that there is one thing in England he likes far too much. <laughs> so what do you think of the book jacket? It's not inaccurate. <laughs> I feel like we say that a lot. You it's know? just, I don't think it captures the spirit of the book. I agree. Because it makes it sound like she, like, summoned him. Yeah. Which she does not summon him. At all. Um, and it also makes it sound like the painting is out and she is ruined. Right. Which I is mean, sort, sort of, of the case. Yeah. Sort of. It, but so it's just, it's a little bit... It focuses on not what I would focus on. Yeah. I, I will say that I think it was written well. Like, there's a lot of alliteration the way the... So these books are sort of... They're based on tabloids. Mm -hmm. So they're based on the tabloids of the time, but also the way celebrities are treated today. Like the concept of TMZ. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, for example, the lying libertine leaves her in disgrace. Like, that's that was great. That was a nice line. I liked it. Yeah. Um, so anyway... Uh, that said, as usual, we generated a random number and we wrote our own summaries based on that number. So the number this week was 12. So my summary was, don't anger the lady with a dog-themed house and a hulking Scotsman. <laughs> less um, detail, but no less accurate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Here's mine. Forgotten Duke's ward sits for nude painting. What about his secret past? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the premise is she is the ward of this estate, and mm. the estate has changed hands like 17 times right. in a five-year period. Yeah. So basically the Dukes just keep dying. Right, and all of them without issue. Right. So it just kind of keeps passing along. And so that's how somehow randomly this named but impoverished Scotsman somehow becomes the yeah. Duke. And the other aspect of this is because all these people kept dying without issue, their estate fell under the dukedom. Yeah. And so without real management of affairs, the dukedom has grown yeah. significantly in this weird period of transition. So when he, when he inherits it, he makes it very clear to the solicitor who like combined all of it and is tasked with telling him he's now a duke that he has no interest in it, he doesn't want anything to do with it, and to like leave him the F alone. Yeah. And the solicitor takes him at his word and does not disclose the existence of Lillian. Yeah, so Lillian was left as the ward of like the fifth duke, and at this point we're at like the 20th duke, um, who has no idea that he has this word. Because her, so they inherited her word dumb, I guess. Right. Word dumb, word, anyway, I don't know how, what exactly you want to say, but she, her, she is the responsibility of all these different dudes. Uh, and none of them really paid attention to her. Right, so she lives in one of the houses the Duke owns yeah. in London. And it's pretty lonely yeah. because she's neither servant nor family member. Yeah. So she became a ward because her father was in service mm-hmm. to the Duke in a professional capacity. And the, her father and the Duke at the time had been very close. Right. And so the Duke at the time offered to make her his ward, to settle a small portion on her, to, like take care of her yeah. essentially and put her in society well when all this crazy dying of dukes happened she sort of never got her season she doesn't really know what her status is until she's 25 or married mm-hmm. she's stuck so she just spends a lot of time alone yeah and so when someone takes an interest in her she is enamored yeah like right away you know immediately and of course so this so the person who shows an interest in her is this, is this artist who moves in society, who in fact was um, associated with one of the other scandalous S's. So he drops the scandalous S to go with Lily, to be with Lily, who is, she I think has such, uh, such little self-worth that she immediately hangs all of her future and all of her hopes on him. Yes. And... So. As part of that, she's his muse, he paints her, and one of the paintings she agrees to sit for is a nude. Yeah. Though, of course, he promises her he it's for his for eyes only. Yeah. And then she goes with him as his date to the exhibit yeah, that he's putting on. Or whatever, yeah. And he announces to the world that the piece de resistance is going to be the nude of her. Yeah. He doesn't unveil it that night. Right. But her world comes crashing down around her. Yeah, her reputation, which she already didn't have much of a, repu- uh, much of a reputation because she just wasn't, she didn't move in society. But whatever reputation she had was now absolutely obliterated. Um, and she drops him. Immediately. Immediately. She has enough self-respect to be like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah, right. One, he also makes it clear that he had no intention of marrying her. Like, mm-hmm. she thought they were on the way to becoming legitimate. Yeah. And, like, clearly it would still be bad to have your husband 
share a nude painting of you with the world. But, but yeah. she kind of, it, it's a one-two punch to her because she first realizes he wasn't worthy of her trust and then realizes he had no intention of marrying so her. So he was lying to her the whole time. And yeah. he's absolutely going to ruin her with oh, this. Oh, yeah. And he just has no, he has no uh, empathy. No, he's, he's a real caricature of a villain. Yeah. And I don't say that in a bad way. Like, I'm fine with it. He's such a minor player and yeah. he just gets played off of. But he's gross. He's really gross. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit. So the solicitor bit. writes him and yes. summons him yes. upon so this, realizing that Lily is ruined yeah. and discloses her existence to yeah. him. And I, I will say that I, I really liked, um, I really liked the solicitor. Yes. He was a fun character. He was a really fun character and he was pretty well developed. So I really liked that. So there are several tropes in this one and yeah. I will start with hulking scotsman. Yes. So let's start with Gentleman Jackson's Get Pumped workout tips, this time for the half Scottish juke. Basically, we've got one thing. You got to do one thing. Be Scottish. Yeah. Be born in Scotland. This <laughs> will ensure that you are over six feet tall and cut. No need to do anything else. I mean, he's a carriage racer. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, I don't know, Lane. Do you think that racing carriages like gives you an amazing muscular physique? No. He's got two really big dogs. He's got some big dogs. He's got a sister. Yeah. His, ca his castle's really big. He probably has to walk. Y you know what? It is. They do talk about the fact that he, like, helps work the land. Sure. So he, like, picks up barrels and stuff. Well, I think it's probably the sort of thing, like, with race car drivers now that, like, know inherently driving the car doesn't keep them in shape. But you have to be in decent shape to be able to withstand being trapped yeah. in the car for that long. But you don't. You're, you're not muscular the way he is. I've, no. Look, I've uh, seen a lot of race car drivers, okay? They might not be out of shape, they're like but they're slim. not hulking. Yeah, well, and anyway, you would also think that, like, carriage driver would be, he would be better if you didn't weigh that much. Like a jockey. Right? And, like, a race car driver, I mean, you brought it up. Yeah. Like, they don't want to weigh too much. But this guy is, like, he weighs a lot because it's all muscle. It's on hot. His over six foot frame. Yep. Yeah. These are questions you just don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> so this is trope number one. He's Scottish, built, and um, you don't ask questions. No, no need to wonder why. Mm -hmm. like it, is, it is not our role to know why Scotsmen are like this, but they are. Invariably. It, yeah, always. Okay. But they're also half-civilized. So this one is very... This trope is extremely prevalent in this novel. Um, and I think he... I, I think it, it's partially because he embraces it. So, like, he wants to be known as this person who, who doesn't care about the aristocracy, right? Right. Um, but it plays off of the, the stereotype or the trope as well. So, that's in there. We've got the, I'm just not good enough for you trope on his end, not hers. Right. So... Uh, they, this is also plays into a lot of the art tropes, yes. I feel like, because you've kind of got the art heist, you've got her as the muse, you've yes. got the, you know, artistic temperament doesn't allow for settling down. Yeah, yeah. And her being rudely surprised by it. Yeah. I think all that's pretty tropey. all, oh, very much so. We've got the grand gesture. There are some amazingly grand gestures here. Guys, the doghouse. We'll get there. We'll get there. But like, oh my God. It's amazing. Um, yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. But so, yeah, lots of tropes, but... Yeah. Uh, well, and you know, there's when we... Just to mention, so there's the, the word and the, um... 
whoever watches over the work. And there's the reluctant heir. The reluctant heir. And the heir that should never have come to right. inherit. There's of course. so much of that. There are mommy issues. Uh, there's a lot. I think what I'm realizing about this book, talking about it, is that I struggle a little bit with some of the wider plot. Uh-huh. Like his mommy issues and the reason he believes himself to be a beast. Oh, God. It's I, guys, so... I personally, this it was one of the things I can't, I just dislike about romance novels is like the, 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 the whole I'm not good enough for you thing. Um... When there's no, I, I don't see the basis. Right. It's, it was frustrating. And there were points where I was like, this makes me feel squicky. Yeah. But the n- details were amazing. The, the, yeah. Like I, the, the effort that she put into sort of explaining the succession and the stuff he'd inherited. And, and I feel like Lillian was really fleshed out and I didn't Lillian remind me of any of her other characters mm-hmm. in a way. Like she was really unique and independent. And I liked Warnick and I thought he had some interesting traits too mm-hmm. it was just a little bit too angst 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 with the two of them mm-hmm. because like even the, the end and the stuff with the art heist and trying to track down this painting because that's sort of one of the impetuses getting driving them together is one he wants to marry her off but two they want to try to stop the painting from being revealed yeah and that stuff was so fun yeah that was really fun it was so entertaining that I like forget that I was actually really frustrated at times reading it because when I remember the details I just want to rave about how good they were yeah um so the heist just I just want to mention this if you are looking for a novel that's like sort of romancy and historical and art heist um there's a really good one out there look up Valor and Vanity by Mary Robinette Kowal it also has a little bit of fantasy in there too okay just throwing it out there this book was meant to be a heist and I think We've talked about this before with other novels. Like some of them, there's a mystery in the novel. Some of them, there's a adventure in the novel. Some of them, there's a art, art heist in the novel. But at the base, they are romance novels. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those other plots suffer a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like the, the Valor and Vanity, the book that I'm talking about now, is written as a heist. And so, you know, it is like Ocean's Eleven based in... Um, uh, 18th century Venice. Okay. You know, so. So kind of just flipping the emphasis. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'll have to read it. It's it's fun. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I already talked about this, but I'm just kind of sick of the I'm not good enough for you. Like, literally, like, if you read the book jacket, it says, my single goal is get her married off and then go back to Scotland. They have had sex, like, a lot in this book. They have sex a lot. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. They end up together. They end up married. But anyway, for like 85, 90% of the book, even after they've had sex, like a lot, he's like, no, I can't marry you. We're going to find someone else for you. And I'm like, just marry her and then go back to Scotland. Like that would solve all your problems. You know what I mean? He's really... Even if you feel like you're not good enough for her, you can still, you can take what, what good you do have and save her from ruination, which is your only goal... And he's, this gets a little bit weird, but so he's insisting he can marry her off to anybody she wants. Yeah. And she, one, doesn't want anybody, but two, I don't get how. (laughs) And I get that that's like 
part of the suspension of disbelief in a romance novel, but like he's intentionally stayed out of society. Yeah. He doesn't really have a lot of political capital. Yeah. He doesn't have like, I just don't understand how he can like beyond violence and intimidation. Yeah. Which would not work on everyone. Yeah. Like how he expects to be able to facilitate her marriage to whatever well, she wants. Well, it's like, it's like triple her dowry and then intimidate them. Yeah. Which would work on a lot of people, but would you really want to marry someone who, like, that's why they married you? Right. Like, just marry, she, and just she marry. tells him, I want to marry you. Like, she tells him. Once she figures it out, yeah. Once she figures it out. Um, and then she's got to convince him. Anyway, I was just like, oh, just marry her, you know? Right. I mean, you're already having all the sex. Why? I mean, you know that's one of my things. Like, just get married. Like, yeah. In the beginning, figure it out later. <laughs> right? And they really want to figure it out before they get married. Lame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whatever. So, I don't know how spoilery we want to get. I Yeah, I don't know. I have this written in here, but... um, He's got several layers of a traumatic past. He, he does, Let's yeah. put it this way. So, he's got mommy issues. He's got mommy and issues. And his mommy was English. Yeah. So, he's got English issues. And she's dead now. Yeah. And, as I mentioned, he was very poor. Yes. And so, because he was the distant relative of a duke... He got into English boarding school. Yes. And his circumstances there were less than ideal, to put it lightly. Yeah. And it ended up that he had some liaisons with women who made it very explicit that he was beneath them. Yes. Yes. In Many no ways. uncertain terms. Yeah. Yeah. I think this... I can see where he could have been traumatized by this. Mm -hmm. I can also see where it would have affected his self-image. So I see a lot of where this came from. Right. But the way it plays out, yeah. It reminds you a little bit of Liz Carlisle. Uh, she she writes super angsty books. So her books are like super angst, but a very similar situation happened in her book, um, one of her books, but it was like, you could really see what. Right. What happened and, and why it affected the hero so much. So. so, yeah, you can understand why he's upset by it, but it doesn't quite make sense why once it's clear that they have legitimate feelings for one another. Yeah. And she needs him to marry her to not be ruined. He right. can't bite the bullet. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, let's see some, some, we both identified a couple of like literary things. So there's some word repetition. We talked about this a little bit, I think already with, with, uh, Sarah McLean. Mm -hmm. So like, here's an example, some word repetition. Lily gasped as he gave the dress a mighty tug, sending buttons flying across the room. You ruined my dress. She gasped, not caring in the slightest. <laughs> I mean, I get it. She gasped and he ruined the dress. I get it. Like, you don't have to tell me again. <laughs> um, the word repetition happened a few times, but also, like, her dresses were ruined quite a bit in this book. <laughs> it was so good. And there is one dress in particular, you guys. Yeah. Oh, my God. So funny. So one of... The 17 dukes that have quickly passed in succession all had, like, unique and identifying characteristics. And as I mentioned, their property and stuff became part of the dukedom upon their passing. So this one duke was like obsessed with dogs. Yeah. Obsessed. Obsessed And with he dogs. and his wife, but they had no children, died together. They died together in some kind of like... Tragic accident. Tragic accident, yeah. And so one of the places that she ends up hiding from him and then he finds her is this 
literal doghouse. <laughs> yes. And it, well, no, it's not a literal doghouse. That's the thing. It's a it's a house that is decorated with dog paraphernalia. Theme. Yeah, so it's a dog themed dog themed house. And it includes a heavily dog-themed wardrobe. Yes. <laughs> that was left behind by the previous duchess. Yes, indeed. And she, in a to attempt to call his bluff, because he's insisting they go out, she comes downstairs in this dog dress. Yes, she wears a dog dress. And then he makes her go out in it. Yeah. And hilarity, it ensues. It's pretty funny. It was pretty funny. It was, picturing that was perfect. Yeah. I, I, I will say I enjoyed the dog dress a lot. It was so good. I also really liked, um, I think Sarah McLean like knew that she was playing up the Scott stuff. I think, I think you have to write a Scottish novel. If you're a romance novel, like you have to write a Scottish novel. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is Sarah's, Sarah McLean's. But anyway, they go to see Macbeth and they, they really play it up that he's this angry Scotsman at the Scottish play. Uh, it, was, it was really funny. <laughs> and then they get into an altercation, and he There's gets an to act he out pulled, part of it. It's he so good. He pulls out the sword. I mean, it's it's really funny, really funny, really. And very tongue in cheek. Yes. Like exactly. this is this one does not shy away from being very over the top. Yeah. But that's actually when I liked it the most. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I liked it more when it was like taking it over the top than when it was trying to be like oh, bring it back down stuff. to earth yeah, yeah. and the conflict. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yes. I want a Scott who like doesn't wear underwear under his kilt and like that's just what he does. Like that's if I'm gonna read a Scottish book, that's what I want. Yeah, you know, and carriages. So yes. Meg pointed this out that Sarah McLean has a tendency to speculate mid novel about alternative outcomes. Yeah, in a way that can be a little bit jarring because you're like, but why would you have wanted it to happen differently? And since Meg pointed it out, I noticed it, and it happened a couple places in this book. But one sentence literally starts with, "At another time, in another place, she might have realized." But she didn't. But and she like, did. But, but you ended up together anyway. So like, I don't know. Why do you want that? It's, to it's just a weird thing just a that weird is quirk. very used. I don't. Yeah. It's not. And here it wasn't distracting, and you understood why yeah. she was thinking that. But now that you pointed it out, I have noticed it in every one of her books. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about things that they could possibly be offensive to some people, maybe. So, <laughs> of course, we've talked about it a little. She is his ward. She is twenty-three. He is thirty-four. I don't know if I would call this like May December, but it's. Getting there. Yeah, he is significantly older and he's in a position of power over mm-hmm. her. So, I, it didn't bother me how it was handled here, but yeah. I, it could see how it could bother someone. No, I agree. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, it didn't bug me. But just for me, this is just my personal taste. Like, when I was 23, I did not want to date a 34-year-old. That was just me. Well, and more than that, I think, especially now that I get closer to... 34 than to 23 if my friends were dating 23 year old yes. I would wonder why exactly I'd be like ooh, really you want to do that yeah yeah because yeah. I would have I'm 29 I would have absolutely dated a 29 year old at 23 and even when my friends now are like into people just out of college I'm like why yeah. we've grown up so much in the last seven years yeah. don't do that yeah um and then so th- I guess this I don't know if this is spoil. this might be spoilery so you might want to jump a minute or so yeah, so this this gets into the reason his past was so traumatic, and yeah. it is trigger warning. It's more of a trigger warning. Um, it is also spoiler. It is a spoiler. So so basically, um, he was paid to have sex with his friend's sisters. 
And he did not go into it as a prostitute. Like, he had sex with one of them, thinking it was consensual and he was going to marry her. And then she paid him at the end yeah. and told all of her friends to do the same. Yeah. And, but he didn't stop Because he needed the money it. that badly. Because he needed the money. Um, I, I, I just don't think that it was... I don't know. The way it was handled... Like, I, I don't know. I, I guess for me... Here's the thing for me. When men are prostitutes, they are most often having sex with other men. Um, right? And so I could definitely have seen him being traumatized by that. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he, he maybe he had sex with a, uh, uh, his friend's sister who paid him, and then she told her brother who then did it? Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't I, think... I just don't see a lot of upper-class aristocrats aristocratic English women being like, I'm going to go pay the Scottish kid who's 17 years old to have sex. <laughs> the fact that you made that a song was amazing. <laughs> I'm yeah. just, I don't I necessarily don't see, see your point about him being traumatized if it had been men. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he wouldn't be traumatized that it was women. So I'm not saying that. No, I know, but I'm just, I don't yeah. really see the parallel with the if it had been men okay. thing. But I do agree that the idea of all of these Young ladies yeah. of the ton mm -hmm. going to visit their brothers at Eton and bringing some extra money and being like, I'm going to go visit your friend Alec here for a while. Yeah. It's a suspension of disbelief. I do get why he was traumatized, though, especially because so clearly for him, it became a case of, like, one, his genuine romantic feelings being yeah. rejected on the basis of being unworthy. It just got taken too far. Yeah. And I, I think I, it's not the fact that it was traumatic. It's not that. It's just that I just didn't see it happening. I guess I, I just didn't find it believable. Yeah. No, definitely not. So. But, okay. And for the record, like, this went on, what, his one year at Eton? It's like he kept working. Yeah after school exactly. and then he inherited pretty exactly at like 29 yeah. so and yeah. I have definitely read other books where the men were prostitutes um I've definitely so this is not the only book I've ever read <laughs> where that happened maybe we'll read a few more okay sexiness speaking of sex I mean in general I thought the book was pretty sexy mm -hmm. there was a carriage hookup and an aborted carriage hookup. Uh, yes. And it was so tongue-in-cheek. Like, this is when Sarah McLean's at her best. Yes. Is, like, they're in the carriage, and he's like, thank God we're almost there, because if she only knew what was in my head right now, so, like, I would have taken her this carriage, but we're there. And I'm like, you know what I want, Sarah. Right? Give it to me. Exactly. And luckily, later they did take the carriage again. Mm -hmm. So, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. You know you know what the people want. Yes. Um. Okay. So uh, this was the, I was confused by the final sex scene. So like basically the so basically he learned to be a lover by providing sexual services to other women, right? So he learned to be like a good lover, to like yeah, yes, right? Okay. So like all of their sex scenes are like him satisfying her. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> Which I'm not like I will read that. Right. <laughs> that doesn't bother me. But the final scene, she's like, she recognizes this tendency of his, and she's like, I want you to be with me. And he's like, he's like, wow, do you understand what you're asking? And she's like, yes, I do. And then he spends like the next 20 minutes or longer, like not being with her, if you know what I mean. And I was like, dude, like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. It's hard for me, like, yes. Am I annoyed by this? From a plot perspective, <laughs> you would have thought 
at least some 69ing would be involved. But (laughs) from a I'm reading this book perspective, I had no complaints. Okay. Um, Also, this is not specifically the graphic sexiness, but one of the ways she sort of starts attempting to declare herself to him Uh is by wearing his tartan. Yeah. And so she gets it in cashmere. Yeah. And is like laying waiting for him and on like on the cashmere tartan. And it like does it for him to see her wrapped in his colors. And the idea of cashmere tartan and like how possessive that made him feel about her really did it for me. Like that's when cuz like sometimes possessiveness comes off as kind of gross uh-huh. and it ends up upsetting me because mm-hmm. I'm just like I don't like this ownership thing. Yeah. But like in this case it was exactly right cuz it, it was like just the right level. It for was you. her owning his scottishness in yeah. a way he was uncomfortable doing and yeah. making it like a positive sexual thing. Yeah. And it was cashmere. And it was yes, the cashmere I was into that myself. And like I think if he'd bought it for her I would have been creeped out. But, but the she, fact that she yeah. used it as like a gesture to him and he yeah. was into it I was like yes. Yeah. That was good. It was, it was good. I was basically, by the time they're having sex on the cashmere, I've been like really excited <laughs> about it for a while. Now. I was just like, yes. <laughs> yes, please <laughs> use the cashmere. <laughs> Take, get me a cashmere tartan. What can we do with this? <laughs> well, once when you start writing to your Scottish boyfriend, yes. he's going to come here in five years, make sure you get the cashmere tartan. Well, because I got to know what his laird is. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got to wait until you know. And his tartan, I got to wait till I know. Then it'll be good. I wish, that's something I wish I understood better. Tartan? Yeah. Like, and I know it's just basically that each clan had their own, mm-hmm. but like what they all meant and the colors and the, the stuff, yeah. yeah. Like, I want one. We'll have to read some more Scott-themed books because I'm sure it'll eventually be explained. Where we could just go to Scotland. I mean, we could also, we, maybe we should just do that. Because maybe my best bet for finding a Scottish husband to move into my castle and fix things is to go there and find one. Elaine, that you are really coming with some good ideas right now. I know. So if anyone has any ideas of where I can um, find my own Alec or Logan McKenzie, <laughs> let us know. I, I assume I've never been to Scotland, but are all the men over six feet tall and muscular without effort? Because and they wear kilts all the time, and they've got like usually reddish hair. Okay, I'm fine with all of this. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, in the meantime, while we're heading to Scotland, rate, review, and subscribe. Yes. And this uh, concludes our first Scott Week. And there will be many more to follow. Thanks for listening.